This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. You cannot find what you already have. Valeria Tellis interviews Matt Baker, the founder of the Institute for Non-Dual Shamanism, teacher, author, and speaker. Matt's main interest is in how non-dual insight can be combined with shamanic practice to better help people awaken to a deep, fundamental well-being, and in so doing, create more meaningful and joyful lives. Matt uses Zoom video chat platform to work one-on-one with people and in groups, He is the founder of the Institute for Non-Dual Shamanism. When time permits, Matt offers classes and private sessions. Matt was raised in Concord, Massachusetts, just a mile from Walden Pond. He received his Bachelor of Arts in International Relations with a minor in creative writing from Dickinson College in 1991. He lived in Italy for a year and has traveled extensively in Europe over the past 25 years. He received an MFA in creative writing from Arizona State University in 1996 and a master's in counseling and psychology with a focus on shamanism and adolescent development from Prescott College in 1999. Matt is a member of the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids and graduated from their Druid training program in 2002. He is also a poet, novelist, and a non-dual and shamanic practitioner and teacher. As a professional, Matt has been an arts educator for 30 years and is the founder and head of school of Metro Arts, an art school with 250 students in 7th through 12th grades in Phoenix, Arizona. Metro opened in 1998 and is still thriving. Meet Matt at nondualshamanism.org and matthewthomasbaker.org. Here's the interview with Matt Baker. In your own words, who is Matt Baker? Well, right now, I'm moving into a time in my life where I'm uh, doing some spiritual teaching around shamanism and mysticism. Um, But in the past 30 years, I've been an arts educator, so a teacher who've taught poetry and mythology and and led my own art school for 30 years. So I'm transitioning to really the second half of my uh, life right now and taking everything I learned in uh, the creative process of building a school and the mystical kind of journey I went on in that process and turning it into um, a book and also um, uh, another school called the Institute for Non-Dual Shamanism. So that's that's pretty much what's going on in my life right now. The second official question is about life. What is life to you? Not what life is about, but what is life? Uh, I think life is this extraordinary expression of the possibilities that exist in our universe. And so I feel like out of the formless sort of void and emptiness arises this extraordinary possibility that's taken forever to manifest. And so for me, I think it's like a gigantic creative project. It feels to me like awareness, pure emptiness and awareness, the awake quality of our being yeah. is essentially creating a giant art project that's awake. And mm. we are it. And when we notice each other and we live through what our soul wants us to live, then the beauty and the potential that is enfolded inside our souls has a chance to unfold in the real world. And out of that are generated qualities that otherwise there'd be no way to generate. You know, if we just stayed in a celestial realm, if we didn't come into a biological realm, an earth realm, we wouldn't be able to really explore. Oh, wow. So this is um, the exploration or the manifestation of that dream to be in a human body. Yeah. Pretty much. I interview so many people about spirituality and we talk about the soul, the spirit, the source, God. Mm-hmm. Are you referring when you say the soul, the same thing? 
Yeah, I have, you know, I have a cosmology like most people. Everybody's is, you know, obviously a little bit different, but mine it breaks into several parts. You have, you know, the self, which is, you know, your personality um, that you built in this life out of your biology and your parents and your genetics okay. and also your soul. And then there's the immortal soul, which is this aspect, this transpersonal part of yourself that has more than one incarnation, probably at many levels of the universe over time. And that can be connected to and, and I've definitely connected to it in meditation and it rests in the heart. And it's full of compassion. And then I also am um, connected to a spiritual body that I would call or spiritual self, which is in the center of the mind. And it's absolutely full of peace. And then there is just pure awareness, the water of, of awareness all around us. So I kind of have a very simple cosmology of self, soul, spirit, and awareness. And that seems to be working it works right, <laughs> and that's right, like my right. primary my, my that's my primary requirement with a cosmology is not mm -hmm. what what i think is going to happen yeah. but what actually works yeah would you say that that works in the same way for the people that you work with that do they experience the same thing or it's somehow different I, no i feel like it is I, i think that everybody finds the sort of people that are the right fit for them Okay. And so when um, I explain this to people and I and we and we kind of exchange energies and stuff, they're able to interact with it. You know, another term for the soul is the inner beloved, mm -hmm. and, and so the soul the soul can kind of manifest as many and many archetypal facets. It's a pretty complex being, I would call yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah. I think of my soul having yeah. me. You know, rather than me having a soul, mm -hmm. I think of my soul as having a me. And, uh, right. and so our, our, my relationship with that aspect of myself is very much a one of like, I'm a, you know, if you might say that, and I use the feminine because it's just more convenient for me and feels more comfortable that she manifests me. She's like my author and I'm her character in the world. And so we have, and, and we work together to experience life on earth. And, uh, and I, in meditation, I can arise as her. I can go into a space and take on her view and perspective. And it's extraordinary. And being in that space is wonderful, but I can't stay there. I can't drive a car while I'm doing that. <laughs> it would not, it would not right. be a good idea. It's <laughs> mm -hmm. practical, yeah. How did you come to these um, understandings or these insights, Matt? Would you call that an awakening? How did that happen? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's been a process over the last 30 years. I mean, I spent a lot of time inside the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids, which is a wonderful esoteric Druid organization, and then a lot of reading and study. But I would say, like, you know, the, the part about the soul in particular, um, it comes from a very small book called uh, The Psychic Self. And it, in it, um, it's just posited and it's sort of explained, and it comes from um, a great spiritual teacher in India, and he was just kind of describing this immortal self. And as I was trying to figure out what was I discovering, what was I finding inside me, you know what I mean? And then he was he did a good um, uh, Sri Aurobindo, I think his name is, and he described it really well in this book. And I was like, wow, that's kind of what I got going on. Glad I'm not yeah. the only person who's figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then as I as I started working in Tibetan Buddhism and doing meditations more deeply in Vajrayana Buddhism, they they have a wonderful sort of perspective, which is that when you when you do meditations and you begin to sort of do the Vajrayana path, what you're really discovering is aspects of yourself. You know, you start with. Um, you know, my, my Yidam deity is White Tara, which is a particular sort of, you know, Bodhisattva deity. And as I discovered her inside my heart, I was like, oh, oh, that's my soul. That's who I am. And she, and she was like, yes, you're a part of me. And then, and then inside of her is this incredible being, uh, you know, um, Chinzerig. And, uh, and it's, and it's sort of like you discover these parts of yourself inside you in the meditation process. And so I just, bit by bit, cobbled it together and started to feel like, oh, I'm not the only one discovering these things. In fact, they're very well-trod paths. And so I gave it a very simple set of terms so that I could understand it, a Westerner could understand it. And um, yeah, and that's been helpful all these years. How does non-duality or the non-duality concept fit into the soul's journey and patterns mm. and all these lifetimes because that we are talking about multiplicity and division separation yeah so it's it's not that complicated the idea is that you know um and this idea really comes from the the you know the integral philosopher ken wilbur and where where he got it from which is the idea is that look all of these aspects of being from myself to my soul to my spiritual body are all like waves you know and they all are like standing waves they are expressions of the great multiplicity of the universe but the water is the same. 
it's all the same. The water's all the same. So it doesn't matter whether I'm talking to you, I'm using pure empty awareness that's awake to talk to you. And my soul, when I'm functioning from that level, it's also animated by pure empty awareness. And the thing is, is so is all matter. You know, in my own spiritual awakening, the first, the thing that radically happened to me is as I began to awaken, and and there was a particular day where I read these pointing out instructions in by Ken Wilber and uh, the Eye of Spirit, his book, and and something just happened, and all of a sudden I, I could see, I could feel the physical room looking at me, and I was like, oh, it's all awake, and I could hear, I could hear the one singing behind the songs on the radio, so you know, yeah, that's a little disconcerting, right? <laughs> You know, it's like, what's going on? So, so, uh, so it took about a month and a half to kind of, to begin the process of reorienting myself. It's like waking up and realizing, oh, I'm not really alone. But the funny thing is you don't disappear when that happens because awareness has no problem with everything exactly as it is. It never, it never has. All that's really going away is this sort of conceptual framework that, um, I call it like when you're about one and a half, two years old, your brain and your mind grabs a hold of awareness, right? And, 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 and it takes possession of it and makes it mine. I, I remember when this happened with my son, we used to just call him, he used to refer to himself in the third person at about one and a half years old. He would yeah. just call himself the Nate. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? oh, wow. And then, you know, and at some point yeah. between one and a half and two, he, he no longer referred to himself as the Nate. He just became <laughs> Nate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think of it as undoing that, you know, uh, at a mm. much higher developmental level as yeah. an adult, probably shouldn't happen until your mid 20s or you know early 30s. You, you, you can see through that original conceptual um, framework or idea that allowed you to build a self. And then you then you can be aware of awareness again, and you can develop your capacity to be aware of awareness. And then that's it. Then there's no conflict. There's never been a conflict. Form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. It's one of the Buddha's basic insights. And you don't have to really, I mean, people do have to work at it, because they struggle against it with their minds, and they struggle against it with their hearts. And all of that's part of the process, too. But there is a way through through a kind of communal co- conversation and back and forth between one person and another that you can slowly transform the perspective so that you don't have you don't feel like you're the goal here is not to annihilate the self. The goal here is to, if there is a goal, is to essentially sense through the permeable membrane of the self to pure awareness and people then actualize and embody that awareness. It's quite beautiful. And then the body mind changes, the heart changes, attachment changes. You know, people, all our attachments are based on the, the, you know, the belief in separation. So imagine what happens to your heart when you see through that, or you feel through that. And now you're like, oh, I don't need you. I am you. (laughs) Things change, things change a little bit, as you'd imagine. But that doesn't happen overnight. It's not a panacea that suddenly you take a pill and it's over. It's like, I mean, this awakening happened to me in 2000 and, you know, I'm still living into it and I will my whole life. That's an interesting idea, Matt, that we have to work on that. It doesn't kind of make sense to me because (laughs) everything is like, right? It's it's not just one, but it's... um, this there's no way that we cannot even talk about in a way but you call it awareness or this absolute awareness it's just this is it right what's happening now is it there's nothing we can do to improve it or add upon it's this is the destination if there is one right so in in buddhism there's this thing called the two truths okay and the two truths the first truth is what you exactly what you just said is that everything is exactly as it is and there is no, there's nothing to improve or not improve. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to seek to find more of God because you've already got all of God. And in fact, it's the act of seeking that makes it so that you can't see what's right in front of you and always has been you. So the second, the second truth is that inside that reality, there is a subset reality. And that subset reality is a manifestation of the first reality of the absolute. And in the subset reality, stuff is happening. Things are evolving and things are devolving. Things grow and, and die and all this kind of stuff. And so the idea in, in, in Buddhism, in Vajrayana Buddhism, is to embrace the two truths because they are, in fact, one truth. There is no, there is no conflict between the fact that everything is actually here exactly as it is and we are also in the process of making it more beautiful. There is no conflict there. That's just, that is literally what, that is what's happening. So 
Yeah. So like, so, so you're right. And, but, but when you say it, it um, m- many people, when they first describe this, they're like, oh, well then there's nothing to do and be like, oh, wait a minute. So nothing. So if there's nothing to do, is nothing really happening here? It's like, no, doing nothing is no different than doing something. <laughs> so it's just the way it is. So what happens is form and emptiness are, are in the process of, they are the same thing. And, and there's an unfolding going on. And in that unfolding, this beautiful evolutionary unfolding that's taking place, we have the opportunity to engage with the transformational process that allows us to embody more of the capacity to see and sense awareness. That's all there is to it. Now, it doesn't change, it doesn't change awareness one whit. It's already here 100%. But your body mind, it's just like muscles. Like, you know, you spent your whole life, you know, doing all that incredible working out and stuff. And it's like, well, look. There, you didn't have any more awareness at the end of that than you did at the beginning, but the capacity, the capacity to be aware of it, to transmit various states of consciousness, to be able, all all those things come along with it, and and so so there is there is work to do. One of my, I mean, my main teacher in Tibetan Buddhism is Garchen Rinpoche, and he had this really interesting statement. And he said, "Look, the line between being awakened and unawakened is." a razor thin line and the ease of moving over it is instantaneous. You can move over to an awakened state and right back into do into dualism in a moment. And, and that in and of itself is not a problem, but we in our practice are attempting to work on the capacity to be able to fluidly go back and forth and then more often embody being in that state um, where we're actually fully aware that we're fully aware and awake. In other words, we become more aware of awareness. So what does it look like, Matt, if you can describe, yeah, how would you describe being aware that you are aware of awareness? Just like you said, flowing between those both uh, realities. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, for me, there's, uh, I'm, I'm the kind of person who, and I think there's a, a, a number of different ways that the Buddhists have spent a lot of time studying this, the different ways in which people, or I should say manifestations of awareness inside of human being, um, interact with itself. So for me, I'm one of those people who I look outward and I interact and I sense awareness as a second person, like a you, like it, not it, but like you, like a person. And as soon as I sense its presence, my heart chakra just boom opens, my throat chakra boom opens, and my and my stomach pulls in, and I'm suddenly in this incredible state of just like subtle alignment. And it's and then and then it's like a it's like a game of peekaboo. And then my mind looks away. My mind looks away again, and then I look back at it, and there it is again. And the more I do that, the more I habituated myself and have habituated myself and continue to, to this sense of being aware of it all the time. Now, the more you do something, the more you pay attention to something, the more it goes into your subconscious, the more you're awake to its idea. You know, so it's like if you develop the capacity to listen for certain kinds of sounds because you're a musician, then you'll always be listening for them. So I'm always listening for awareness. Now, now, I think of consciousness as like a lens on a camera. At different times, I'm focused in on my dog that I have to feed. And other times, I'm focused in on driving. Other times, I'm focused in on awareness. Other times, but the awareness is always there to be recognized. It, it's, it's, never, it's never not there. But right. it also has no problem with me looking away. Mm, it's not right. like it's not like it's possessive. It it, right. it is me, <laughs> right? Right. It's, it's, it is me. So right. my experience of it is very much of like, um, you, you know, the the beauty of it is inside the body mind. For me, anyways, yeah. when I connect with awareness, there is an instantaneous alignment of recognition, like looking into the eyes of a goddess mm. and knowing and being seen by her looking back at me. And then there's just love. Like, who didn't want that, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's a wonderful place to be. Yeah, space. To yeah, be. it is a subtly wonderful way to play. There's a, and there's yeah. many, many la- levels and layers of that. There's the bliss field. And you can do that with another person, too. You can share that. That's the transmission of pure awareness. And so most people, though, when you look at it, um, when they look at you in the eyes, they're, they don't know what to do with that. And they look away. And it's hard for them because there's a kind of longing for what, what I'm talking about inside people. 
And um, so the the strongest connections I usually have are with children, you know, like little kids, you know, walking through, I don't know, you know, some superstore or something. And like, you know, some lady with two kids in the super thing will, you know, go by with her car and the kids will look at me and I'll look <laughs> at them and we'll just be in a state of joy together. And then, <laughs> and then they'll just go yeah. by. You know? <laughs> but it's unless unless someone's coming to me as a as you know as a student or someone who wants to practice specifically with the non-dual shamanic approach that I take it's like you know I don't I'm not gonna like <laughs> you know you don't need to like I don't know people are ready when they're ready let's put it that yeah, way for true. that kind of trans true. transmission you know that's one of the questions I often ask like what makes somebody ready most of us will never get there or recognize the awareness you're speaking of. So do you wonder sometimes what happens there? How come some of us are able to recognize that and some of us don't? Well, you know, my hunch is that, you know, humanities are just a really ginormous, interesting project that awareness <laughs> yeah. is engaged in. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so, like, you know, so that our souls, uh, you know, some of us have spent, um, you know, probably other incarnations, our soul have had other incarnations where we've had opportunities to awaken. And that could have happened, in, you know, through anything. It could happen through, you know, studying a monastery. It could happen through taking some kind of you know, dangerous poison that you took one time or, you know, yeah. all kinds of possibilities. Or it could just be like you were a sailor and you were out, you know, on the sea and you were just, you just got completely habituated to the open spaciousness of a pure awareness. Who knows why yeah. a particular um, incarnation has it? I'm, there's probably something, you know, there might be something genetic associated with it. All I know is, is that the way I look at it is this, a, a way to understand it is simple. It's like, think about it this way. There's some people that come onto the planet, they have an incarnation and they're incredibly good at math, Right. And there's some people that are incredibly good at, um, you know, uh, science and music and running. And it's like all of that is part of humanity. And so if there's some people and there are more people today than maybe ever before who are who are ripe, like in Tibetan Buddhism, it's like people being ripe for having an awakening experience. Well, that's just the way it is. And just like someone making a scientific breakthrough and then other people contributing to the math that goes with that and it's just another area of humanity. It's a spiritual line of development. And those of us who are engaged with this area, we're working to help humanity, the, you know, the collective soul of humanity, to awaken and develop to the capacity to be able to see through separation. And that has huge implications down the line, just like math does. You know, and it's like, you know, we want all of it. We want the calculus and we also want the practices that allow people to awaken from their their sense of being alienated from the divine presence. Because there's a lot of suffering associated with that, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we just do, you know, you know, I think that's, I think it's the same reason any other set of circumstances are arising inside humanity, because we are evolving, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense to me, Matt. Yeah. So, because it's one, there's just awareness happening here anyway. So yeah. there's nothing that has been lost in the first place. We are not right. trying yeah. to make the world a better place, although we are, it seems although like we are. <laughs> yes, yeah, we are although here anyway. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> right, since we're here anyways, we might as well, right? <laughs> True. <laughs> better than making it a worse place. <laughs> Would you go as far as calling this reality, what's happening now, a dream? Oh, oh, yeah, this is a good question because people get really confused about this. Um, people often talk about like, oh, well, it's like everything's an illusion. Everything's a dream. It's like, okay, well, let's be clear here. Okay, <laughs> This is sort of a misunderstanding when things come from the east to the west. Okay, life is not a dream like a dream you have at night. And neither is it an illusion. Like, okay, when you hit a table with your head, it hurts. Okay, <laughs> so the physical world exists. It's made of energy like anything else. What they're talking about when they say that all of life is an illusion is the idea that you have a conceptual concept inside your mind that, uh, that, uh, that sort of pre-decides -de pre how you're going to perceive reality. And that conceptual idea um, is incomplete. Okay, it's missing pieces. And so much like a dream, you know how when you wake up from a dream in the morning and you go, oh my gosh, thank gosh, that was a dream. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what they're talking about. It's the same thing. It's what I call the Santa Claus effect. You know, when people were kids, let's say in the West and you got the Santa Claus thing, at some point when you're a little kid, you go, how does how does Santa Claus get everywhere? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how, 
how does Santa Claus get down the chimney? You know, you know, all the, so like at some point your mind goes from what's called magical mythical thinking where you don't question that at all. You're just like, yeah, man, Santa can do whatever. Right. Right. Uh, And at some point you start your, your little kid mind, you're about seven or eight years old, nine years old starts to struggle (laughs) with, wow, is that possible? And then you start making excuses for Santa. Right. And you're like, well, maybe he has a key. And it's like, that's a lot of keys, man. You know, Uh, maybe he has a magic key. Okay. Well, this is the same thing. Hmm. Okay. So later on in life, you go from, you go rational and you start to see everything rationally and you develop a rational individualistic ego and everything. And you believe in it just like you believe in Santa. And, and, and then at some point, if it's part of your karma, then something happens and you begin to see through the illusion or the dream that you are a separate ego that has your own little piece of awareness that belongs to you. And, and like, you know, and nobody else can, can touch it. Now think about how irrational that is for a second. How could you and I even talk if we weren't actually using the same medium? Mm, yeah. the, the medium is consciousness. It's awareness. It has to be 100% present and pervasive in all things for you and I to even exist in the same universe. So what? So you break through what I call the second Santa Claus effect. And that's what they mean by, oh, life is a dream. Well, it's a dream as if you see it primarily from a rational, separate perspective. And it's like, and there are lots of powers from that perspective. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bad mouthing being rational. It's way better than, than actually just thinking magically and, 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 you know, and thinking that everything's just going to work out. Right. But the breakthrough is then to like, oh, I see. I'm actually one with everything. This table is awake and it's shining and, 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 and this dog and me are one. It doesn't, I don't lose myself. I don't lose my rational self when that happens because my rational self is no less or more important than the candle in front of me that's along, you know, that's flaming. Um, so, so that's misunderstood by people. They go, oh, all life is a dream. Like I'm going to be able to like, you know, take my hand and, and, and put it through a wall. It's like, no, you're not, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I, yeah. it's just misunderstood. So if people can can kind of get their head around, like, oh, really, it's just like waking up from a dream when you wake up from your sense of separation, and you go, oh, I see, I was never really completely separate. Wow, that awesome, mm. <laughs> right? Oh, like, I how see. Awesome man. Is that <laughs> right? Right. Hmm, that's interesting the way you say that. Would you say that, well, we can see that, that most people are still dreaming in a sense, or in, the, in the dream of separation, yeah. as you call it, most yeah, of it's us it's just the are. dream of separation. That's okay. If most of us in this reality are still clinging or still dreaming that sense of separation, still believing that we are this separate entity and owning our mm-hmm. own reality, then doesn't make this reality a dream in the sense that we are navigating. Because in my case, with my husband and people in my family, I feel like I'm the only one who kind of has some insights into this, that everything is connected, but nobody else does. So I feel like I'm in their dream a lot of times. <laughs> right. But like that, but think about, let's go back to like, the, it's the same thing. Let's say like, you know, yes, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and at the same time, let's imagine again that like, for instance, instead you were just unbelievably good at math. Okay. And nobody understood your math. You're like Einstein, right? Nobody understands your math. Nobody in your family understands your math. It doesn't change how you feel about them. You love them. It's like, so right. you're not going to be able to like have a math thing with them. So what? You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? So it's like, so the people around you, it, it doesn't change. I mean, at first it seems lonely and you want to like, you know, connect yeah. with people and you want to share it. And you'd be like, look, look, Santa Claus isn't real. What do yeah. you know? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you're all dreaming. And then people look at you like, yeah, right. You're all dreaming. And it's like, so, and at some point though, you, you, you start to realize that like, okay, the whole thing is a awareness and just, and it, it's not, it has no problem with any of the way it is, including you being frustrated with the fact that nobody else seems to know what you're talking about. Right. 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 <laughs> so, True. so yeah, True. is everybody kind of dreaming? Yeah. Every mind is creating and constructing its own reality all the time, but that doesn't mean there isn't a physical reality out there. I mean, let's, let's be clear. Like a dream is a mental construct that we lay over the objects that exist. So like, you know, you know, there's matter and there's energy and it's constantly going back and forth. We now know from the physicists, it's all waves and particles all at the same time. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have solidity or realness. There's this there's this thing that happens in the West. We have a very all or nothing kind of mind, you know, like, oh, yeah, there's something real or it's a dream. It's like what I would like to posit is the idea that realness is like a spectrum. okay? and you've got from zero to ten. 
Okay. And so 10 is the most real. So the table for you and me, the table is a 10. Because if you smack your head against it, it's going to hurt. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then, and your identity is probably like, you know, compared to a table, your identity is pretty dang flexible. So let's say it's like, you know, a six or a seven and you have a dream at night and it's like a three. Okay. So it's all over the place. So rather than it being like, oh, it's all a dream or it's all real and we're all going to fight with each other, but I just think, no, 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 no. Look, it's not like these things that happen inside us, you know, these, these dreams that we have, these, these imaginations and these emotions and these thoughts, it's not that they're not real. They're just not as quote real as the table. If you're going to measure the table as the most real thing, right? So you got to, not only can you create a spectrum of realness is what I call it. And I talk about this in my book, you then get to determine what's What's the context of your spectrum? For me, you and me talking, you know, it's about a a nine out of 10. It feels pretty dang real, right? Yeah, it does, (laughs) Um, very much. And my my dreams at night, yeah, they're probably about a four or five. And when I go into the inner Mm -hmm. world and I communicate with a divine being, um, you know, it feels pretty dang real. It feels like, you know, about an eight or a nine. It's not the same as a table, Yeah. right? (laughs) But when I come back from that state of consciousness, I'm like, whoa, dude, I've been somewhere else. So, so just because it is a classic sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. Harry Potter here, as Dumbledore says, just because it's happening in your head, Harry, doesn't mean it's not real. So he's talking from that idea of the spectrum of realness. So here's another idea. And then when you die, and you're no longer in the physical realm, right? Who's to say that when you go into the inner world permanently, that that something else doesn't take up the space of a 10 on the spectrum? Because of whatever frequency you're then at. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, if you, if you leave behind your physical body and you're going in a light body and you go to another realm, like a Buddha realm or some whatever, you know, realm you're going to, and then you're like there and all of a sudden all that stuff feels really solid. You're like, oh, wow, man, Earth was a dream. <laughs> Earth was just a dream. It wasn't yeah. real at all. This is the real real, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, guess what? It's all made of the same water. Wow. And so it's all real. It's just a matter of where your body is at the time. Do you have a physical body? Do you have a light body? Do you have no body? Are you in the formless realm? Right. And then, and then at some point, I would imagine, you just stop caring about whether it's real or not, and you just go with what is. That's what I love about it. Yeah. Get to that point where <laughs> yep, let's just go point. with what is. Yeah. Let's just go with what is and work with it. How do we master being at the realm we're in? You know, it's if you suddenly put scuba gear on and you go underneath and you're in the ocean, you're not like, is this ocean real? Are these fish real? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, yeah. no, how do I freaking swim around with this tank on my back? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? very good point, Matt. Yeah, I love that perspective because that opens up to this um, more possibilities in the sense of healing and easing the suffering that we see around us. I mean, the more open, quote unquote, we are, the more insights we have into awareness, then the more we might be able to pass that on. Not the opposite, right? The judgment of this is not real and then... Yeah, I don't think that really helps because, I mean, unless you're planning on just, you know, going somewhere, like, it's like, well, hey, man, we're here. It's like, and to say it's not real and it's all a dream, it's like, okay, you know, that just from a, think about how that feels to someone who it's like, if somebody said to you, you were doing arithmetic and someone came along and and was, you know, doing calculus and looked at your arithmetic and said, oh, that's just not real. That's not real math. And you're struggling to memorize your times tables. You know, it's like, look, it doesn't help. And there's a certain, there's a certain like chunk of what I would call the non-dual world that tries to sort of like utilize this, like the negative path of none of it's real, none of it's real, none of it's real. And it's like, okay, well, that's just one way of doing that. I've studied that as well. I was trained in all of that as well. And it's just one path to the non-dual. And for some, for some minds, that's the road they need to go. But to then go out and project that out onto everybody else's mind, it's like saying, hey, my math is better than your math. It's the only math. Well, that sounds a lot like dogmatism, which allowed, <laughs> you're welcome to have your mind do that. But I don't see that as particularly helpful for other people who don't access it that way. It wouldn't be helpful. That's true. I remember talking no. to my husband about it, and he really rejected the idea with a lot of negativity, actually. Right. Well, anything that's not life-affirming, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, it's not real. It's like, not only is that not accurate, because it's all real, and it's all not real all at once. And so then it's a matter of, oh, okay, well, then what does my real look like here? And the idea is to become a, from my perspective, the idea is to become a validation person where you're validating the reality that's arising in the now, which means there's no, there's nowhere to go. And yet 
There's all this work to do that spontaneously rises from your open heart. You don't have to want to relieve suffering once the, your heart begins to awaken. You just do the work. Don't, I mean, there's no explanation for that, except for that we're all just made of the same thing. And, you know, when parts of us are suffering, the other part's like, oh, man, my finger hurts. Oh, I should figure that out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Being present with what is present. Right. Yeah. And not yeah, trying absolutely. to get somewhere. I love the way you say that all the time. No destination. There's nowhere to go anyway. So here is the place to be. Maybe because I've been studying that for a while now with some non-dual teachers like Robert Wolf. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his teachings in his last book. It's uh, Emptiness. I interviewed him on that and I kind of I'm reading the book still. It resonates that whatever it's in here, it's kind of it resonates with it. Not that there is nothing out there, but it's a dream. But not in the way that I, yeah, like communicating that with the intention of easing the suffering, that doesn't seem to be possible. It doesn't seem to be, unless it arises naturally, yeah, the right. message. Right. I mean, the, the words that you choose matter. And my primary teacher was, and is, Peter Fenner. And uh, he's a wonderful non-dual teacher. And he has a wonderful, uh, he was trained as a Tibetan Buddhist monk for about nine years, and then went off into the West to teach all this stuff without the all the religious constructs. And that was what he was called to do. And his work is really beautiful because it is really validating of existence. You know, and uh, because it, I mean, the whole point of the non-dual is there's n there's nothing to escape. Like so, this if if there's a if there's a subtle sense of what I would call an unconscious subtle thing of like, hey, you don't get it. You're living in a dream. You should wake up. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's not a non-dual statement at all, because there's there's why would you need anybody to wake up? If it, it, it is right, it either is or it isn't all one thing. And if it's all one thing, then your job is to be present and listen for what wants to unfold like an artist doing a painting or a poet writing a, you know, a poem. You listen for what wants to unfold between you and this other marvelous being that's in front of you. That's it. You know, and it's like, and that's a creative process. I mean, the one thing we should probably can agree on is that there's some kind of creative process taking place in the universe. You know, and it's like, yeah, I mean, clearly it's not just we're all not just a bunch of crystals hanging around in space doing nothing. You know, some something is happening. <laughs> and so the, the 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 creative instinct allows you to be present with pure awareness and see what wants to arise in that given moment. And if there's somebody who's supposed to is coming to you because there's kind of like they're on the edge of some kind of awakening or anything, then it does become really careful. You have to be really careful what words you use. Because if you use a word like it's all an illusion, it's all a dream, and you don't qualify it carefully and say, okay, your conceptual framework for the way in which you perceive reality is in part dreamlike, and here's the thing, incomplete, not wrong. Because, because they're not wrong about the fact that if they step in front of a bus, they're going to get killed. So let's do that, you know, because if the answer was wake up and I have unbelievable superpowers and I can like float through the walls, well, you show me someone who can do that and I'll be like, I'm wrong. Fine. I was mine was incomplete. But the vast majority of the way in which most beings perceive the physical reality is 99% complete, i.e. they can get around, they can dress themselves, they can eat, they can work, they can do all these things to allow them to survive. The 1% that they're not perceiving, which is that they're actually all one awareness uh, they don't need that most of them to survive. They need it to be happy. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Most, right. most of them, many of them. So I find it interesting the way you are explaining, passing on the message, because that opens up this space for more benevolence, I guess, and peace, non-conflict, because yeah. that doesn't help. You're right. Coming from that place of everything's a dream. Um, we don't exist. <laughs> There's nothingness only. <laughs> Although I find those statements very much true for some reason that I don't mm -hmm. know why. It has always, always, always kind of resonated. I don't know with what in me in, in this true that there is not even a creation, but just imagination here taking place. Yeah. And, and on, you know, on the ultimate level, is there a divine mind dreaming everything into reality? Probably. But, mm. you know, like I, I, you know, I mean, it's not like I can sit down and have coffee with that dreamer. You know, the, 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 <laughs> the entire freaking thing is the dream. Right. And the, the other thing yeah, is, is that. Yeah. 
there is there are stages to the actual awakening process of becoming aware of awareness okay and it's like and um peter fenner has a wonderful book about this and he takes it's like a teaching manual for how to teach non-duality and he says in the beginning there's like these you know because people have been charting this stuff in tibetan buddhism for a really long time and it's like there are stages in the beginning and there's middle stages and, and it goes on and on until finally you know it's like it's like anything where like a if you're in position A, you don't realize there's awareness. And then there's position B, and you suddenly realize there's awareness. And they're, and they're kind of at odds with each other. And then eventually there's a C, which is a reconciliation and a synthesis of the two realities into one reality. And you meet people who've awakened who are at different stages of that process, like any other developmental process. And the thing is, is that because we don't have like really clear instructions lying around everywhere, you know, <laughs> most people, most people along the way feel like they're actually like wherever they're at is exactly what the, is the ultimate answer. And it's like, well, actually, no, there's a process going on. And, um, and so the first time I really came across that was, um, through Peter Fenner's work. Uh, and I, I can't remember the name of the book, but, um, his first book is called uh, Radiant Mind. And then he has another kind of teaching manual that there are pages that will literally describe like the phrases that will go through your mind as you're going through the different stages of how awakening to awareness percolates through like coffee, through your, your body mind. And the, the more you go along through the process, the less like the less war is going on inside yourself mm. about it all. Yeah. If that makes some sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. The when we end conflict, right, with within and then I mean there's no conflict anywhere. So why would we try to make anything a better place? Like you said, everything just arises, whatever it's happening is just happening. And if we are present enough, then we just go with that. There's nothing else to do anyway. So we're almost at the end. Well, I'll talk with you forever here. We'll just go on and on and on. I would never stop. But we're almost at the end. But talk to me for a moment before I ask you my final questions, Matt, about a new book that you're writing. The title you sent me is The Way of the Mystic Wizard. Yeah. Yeah, because for me, what I was called to do was to bring together my background in shamanism and inner world dialogues with compassionate beings um, in the inner planes with non-duality and the awakened awareness of awareness. And in in the West, these two things are kind of kept apart. They've, they've you know, it's not anybody's fault, but there's people who brought information over from the East and they really focused on non-dual awakening, you know, that, you know, through the Zen traditions and, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, just different meditation traditions. But then there's also been this extraordinary rediscovery of our own sort of shamanic heritage and history. That's an explosion going on because it's shamanism is a direct revelation sort of approach to the spiritual, which is that everybody has the chance to connect with the inner world and their own soul and their own compassionate guides. And I found that in the West, in most Westerners, those two things are being kept apart. They were the people who were really drawn to shamanism that had no interest in awakening technology and awakening themselves in the same sense, even though they might have really powerful um, experiences, uh, uh, shamanic experiences, um, where of oneness, they didn't necessarily intend to embody that oneness or have a framework for it. And then you'd have all these people really interested in the non-dual and, and, and pure awareness and stuff, but like, they have no sense of like, Oh, how does that translate into something shamanic? How does it, how do I bring that into my life? What's, how do I continue to transform myself and become helpful to my people around me? So the instinct that what happened to me is I got involved in Tibetan Buddhism. And I was looking at that and I realized, oh, these guys did it. Tibetan Buddhism is totally shamanism mixed with Buddhism. And like for them, there's no conflict. They're constantly dealing with like spirits and doing rituals and all kinds of stuff. And Westerners who see their stuff tend to think of it as just like typical, like they think of it as Buddhism. They don't realize how much shamanism is really there. And because most Westerners don't believe in the inner world, they don't experience it. They don't experience um, spirits and and deities helping them out. But in Tibetan Buddhism, it's all over the place. You know, now there's no confusion for the Tibetans. They're like, they're like, yes, there's all these beings, there's all these spirits, and yes, they all ultimately have the same awareness. Of course they do, but they're all real, just like you and I are real. You know, and it's like, okay, so so for them, there's no conflict there. So the, it just started to come together inside of me. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I just take the non-dual traditions and bring them together with the shamanic traditions and try to offer that to people. And here's the interesting thing. This is what I found. 
the people that are most interested that are coming to me are people that are drawn to the non-dual traditions, have found them in the West, but then for some reason feel like there's something missing, something about embodiment that's missing, the, what's called the middle realms. It's like, okay, you have formlessness, right? And then you have form. And so most Westerners think of there's just those two categories. Remember, Westerners are kind of all or nothing thinking, black and white. So you have form, you have formlessness where there's nothing and it's the pure, awakened, radiant, whatever. And then you have us. And what they miss is this whole middle realm, you know, which we used to have, by the way, in the West. It was like filled with angels and all these other beings and blah, 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 blah. And before and before Christianity, it was filled with all the local spirits of like the land and the local deities. It's all still there, folks. Just because we decided not to pay attention to it doesn't mean it went away. Um, and so my my goal, or at least what I'm called to do, is to allow people to heal that rift that took place. Where it's like, oh, you live in flatland, you live in the scientific materialistic world where there's just us and then there's pure empty spirit. And it's like, yeah, well, it's kind of like real, like standing outside a stadium full of people and being like, look, there's just me and then there's the air. And then you, and the, someone's like, yeah, well, dude, what about all those people in the stadium? You're like, I don't know, man, what stadium? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, turn around and look. And then once you look, now you're dealing with the shamanic world. And so then what's the point? What's the purpose? Well, shamanism is about healing people. It's about getting direction and purpose in life. It's about understanding the, the multiplicity of reality in the physical realms and the spiritual realms and working together with them to fulfill our soul's potential. Nice. There's no, and like I said, there's nothing else to do. You don't have to do it. There's nowhere to get to because the non-dual is already perfectly 100% complete. But the point is, is even in the midst of 100% 100 completeness, reality unfolds and the soul wants to engage. You were created to engage, not to just disengage. So either, so there you go. And, and there's no conflict in that. And if you decide to not engage, yeah, that's your prerogative too. Because guess what? Not engaging is just another form of engaging. I love that how it covers everything. Yeah, yes, I mean, be aware of everything. It's okay. It's to be. It's okay. Engage and not engaging. Everything is right. Everything is for you. Then it's for you to figure out. Then you learn to listen into your heart, your soul. If you just listen to spirit, if you just listen to, to formlessness, it's it's just like everything's fine. Leave it is. It, there is no instinct to go anywhere. But if you connect into your heart, your soul will have a longing to express itself in the world. That's why we have a soul. Otherwise, we wouldn't need one. That's a very, very good point. How you explore that, that in between, in between life and death, right? If there is yeah, no beginning between, or end, but yeah. But in, I mean, between, in between formlessness and matter hmm. lives the world of the mind and the soul and the right, heart. Right. And that's where the action is. I mean, the action's in the matter as well, because we have bodies, obviously. And, and the bodies are super important because you can utilize them to actually transform yourself and develop, develop an energy body. And that energy body can hold really sophisticated, subtle states of consciousness, which make it easier to perceive pure awareness, make it easier to open your heart, make it easier to love others, make yeah. it easier to manifest things on the earth. All kinds of stuff. That is such a wonderful way, perspective and work you do, Matt. I never thought of that Thank way. You. Yeah, shamanic practices with non-dual awareness, really, because there's no practice in non-dual. I never heard of that before. And you write about Tibetan Buddhism. That's what it is, right? It's totally what it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, what it does is it allows for the possibility of what of of a, a word that's not used very much in English. Uh, it's called transfiguration. So to, to be transfigured is to be utterly transformed into another kind of being. And so it's very much like the caterpillar to the butterfly metaphor. Yeah. Okay. So the idea is, it's like, look, we, we're not inventing something when we decide to engage with the caterpillar archetype of transformation. That is what nature is doing. That is what mm. the universe, what pure awareness is manifesting through a physical universe with planets, with suns, with oceans, with air, with people. So, so for us to, to get on board, so to speak, and be like, oh, I see, I see. And my, part of my engagement with reality is to, if I want to, is to go through the process of helping myself learn to transfigure myself. 
And so, and it's like, oh, so that I can arise as a more enlightened being, a more awakened being and more masterful, wise, powerful, masterful. So that's why it's called the way of the mystic wizard because, and it took me a long time to come up with those words. Mystic is kind of clear. Mystic is like someone who's after the nature of consciousness, the nature of the universe, trying to see through the illusions, right? And wizard is very clear as well. You think of, you know, Merlin and Gandalf and Yoda and all the good witches, you know, all these, it's like they're engaged with helping people find their destiny and transform and move forward. And so you bring those two things together and you have what I think are the, 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 the two things you need as a Westerner today, maybe as, you know, anywhere today to be like fully engaged in reality and fully engaged in spiritual transformation. And it lays out a pathway of the mystic wizard that allows you to walk the path that I'm kind of describing of finding your own way to embodiment and awakening. And um, it takes a lot of individual, you know, commitment to do it, you know, um, and, and, and connection to your own soul and connection to spirit. So, um, but that's the idea is that it's like, it's built for people today so that you don't have to go to a guru. You don't have to go to a monastery. It's like, no, you're going to live right in the heart and center of your life. And, you're, and you can do this work. And you may find some spiritual companions to help you along the way. I certainly have mine, right? Um, but that's very different from, I need to go join something. It's like, no, no, no. What you're connecting with is a stream of wisdom and insight that allows you to become the one who works with your own soul to transfigure you to become your own highest self in this life. You know, whatever that looks like for you. Um, and, and, and embodying that in such a way that it's really creative so that hopefully you can build a light body, uh, you know, an energy body over time that allows you that when you die, it's, it's full of energy and, and you can carry that light body with you and all the love that you've generated and insight, you know, and um, yeah, that's the goal. It's been the esoteric goal of the West and the East forever is to sort of wake up and continue on, not so that you, your ego self continues on. I mean, that self would get absorbed by your soul. And you become more of who you really are when you get absorbed by your soul rather than losing who you are. Imagine losing all the annoying parts of yourself. That sounds like <laughs> yeah. a pretty good it sounds like a pretty good gig, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Very much. That's a great benefit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a really good benefit, right? <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Matt. So think of it as like we're building a soul, you know, we're building yeah. the the conduit between mm. earth and heaven. Yeah. Um, that, that's the way to go. Thank you so much, Matt, for your work, the way you present, you express yourself in this reality and try guiding others to get there too, in the sense of love, the space of love. It's unconditional love, I call it. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much again. You're welcome. Take care. Before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your products, services, your book and future projects? Uh, just go to um, the Institute for Non-Dual Shamanism. And I started an institute to kind of do this, you know, and it's just under uh, nondualshamanism.org. Yeah, I do have those two links that you sent to me. So I'll have them on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, Matt. We'll talk soon. All right, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Matt Baker and his work, please visit nondualshamanism.org and matthewthomasbaker.org. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.